Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm your host, Carl Truman, along with the other two hosts, Amy Bird, housewife theologian, Todd Pruitt, pastor of the PCA Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, from which we are broadcasting today. And we have a special guest to interview in this program. She's actually demonstrating the triumph of hope over experience by coming back on for the third time, equaling, I think, Michael Allen of RTS's record of appearances on the show. Her name is Simonetta Carr. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's probably best known to most of you out there as uh, the author of a series of beautifully written and beautifully illustrated children's books published by Reformation Heritage Books. And she's also a contributor to another Alliance website, uh, A Place for Truth. Uh, So welcome to the show, Simonetta. Thank you for having me again. It's great to have you back. Today, though, we want to talk about your latest book, which is uh, a break from the kind of thing you've written before. It's uh, deeply personal uh, and deeply moving uh, book that is both a a memoir of uh, your life with your son, Jonathan, uh, and also uh, a reflection on the connection between the gospel and the church and those who struggle with mental illness. Perhaps, uh, Simonette, you'd like to start by just giving us a little bit of background on on why you came to write this this very interesting, unique, and and in many ways very hard-to-read book. Yeah, well, it's a book that I didn't want to write. Um, Of course, I didn't want to go through this experience, but that's what God uh, had in, in place for me. But anyway, I... Um, my son Jonathan was diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia um, in 2012, and uh, he um, he actually died in 2014. So it's about the book is about that period of time. And uh, um, when he died, I wrote an article for Modern Reformation. Um, schizophrenia in general. I actually wrote the article before he died and then I had to add a a postscriptum. And um, someone suggested that I uh, write a book. And at first I didn't think it would have been a good idea because um, my son died. So I thought, well, it's not a success story. Mm -hmm. But people encouraged me and, and so I said, well, I'll try. And I actually wrote the first part of the book, which is the the memoir, um, very fast after he died. Um, And it was it was actually easy in a way because um, I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I I write to people and I, uh, I express myself very freely. So I had a lot of um, emails 
messages and I could just collect them all and, and put them all together. Also, I kept a diary because people uh, who are caring for, for people with mental illness, usually they're um, uh, advised to keep diaries just in case, you know, if, if one day uh, the person has to be hospitalized or it goes to a doctor that doesn't know the situation, then you have a diary that shows the progression um, of the illness. So I had a very detailed diary. I had all these emails. So I put it all together and it, it didn't take very long to write the first part and everything was still fresh in my mind. Um, the second part took about four years because I wanted to collect different opinions from different people about questions I, I had and uh, things I struggled with or things I encountered. So the second part includes practical things like medications or also uh, more personal things like feelings of guilt, which many parents or people with schizophrenia feel, or just coping, you know, how to how to take enough time for yourself when your son is constantly on your mind. All these different questions that some I, I resolved a little during my time with my son, but some um, I know I failed miserably. So I just uh, revisited all these things and I interviewed psychiatrists, psychologists, pastors, parents, people with schizophrenia, um, just um, a large host of people. And I put that together. So yeah, all together, it took about four years. I've been very grateful for the book just as a person, as well as uh, a pastor and knowing um, families who, who have a, a member of the family that deals with uh, a significant mental illness. I wonder, um, what have you learned over the years about signs to, to look for? What, one of the things that, that has been common in my conversation with family members of someone who suffers from a mental illness is that there are many things that they, they only really notice as they look back. Um, things that I think they beat themselves up about, wondering why they didn't notice it earlier but probably beat themselves up unfairly over uh, just in hindsight, what would you say to, to families, you know, pay attention to this or, or look for that. Is, is there anything like that, that, that you've, that you've gleaned from your own experience? Yeah, it's um, like you're saying, it's easier to see it in hindsight because yeah. um Many signs are common to people, um, to teenagers or young young adults. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we our, our son was uh, very very absent-minded, but he's always been that way, mm -hmm. and then that became worse. So we just said, "Oh well, it's you know it's getting worse because he's uh, he's thinking about college. He has a lot of stuff on his mind." Then his uh, personal hygiene became worse, and that's also a sign. But again, you know, a, a young man, right. uh, you, you think, well, you know, that's 
that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then some things that we saw that uh, were strange to us, he was becoming strangely emotional. One time my, my husband talked to him just about why didn't you apply for colleges or, you know, the usual questions. And he cried and we were really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. He was getting more angry than usual. So, yeah, there were a few things. But again, if you don't expect anything, you're just thinking, well, it's going through something, you know, your mind doesn't automatically go to mental illness, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I would say, be very, very careful is marijuana usage. Mm -hmm. And we actually didn't know that our son in college was uh, smoking marijuana. I think he started even before he never told us, but then in college, he just went crazy over it because it's, um, it was available and his friends were doing it. So we just didn't really know, but um, more and more studies are showing that that is connected to schizophrenia. A lot of people are saying no, but people who are saying no are people who want to market marijuana. Um, I've seen it so often, you know, you can't say every single case, but, Often enough, that happens. So I would be very careful with that with young people. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Um, one of the things about just the the quality of your writing in this book is is amazing because it has a lot of the same feel as a reading a good novel. Where you know, I opened it up. I was on a long plane ride, and I was so drawn in by your story. Um, it's such a page turner. It's consuming. It's almost like you feel like you're going through some of these emotions while you're reading it. And you, there are so many different layers to address with mental illness and with loving someone with mental illness. And I know the drug use was one, and I learned a lot um, through reading it, but also the anxieties, the fears, um, the work of faith in a way that is, is desperate almost. And, and you convey that so well. Um, and then navigating through the proper medical care, the major decisions that you have to make in a split second when your husband's not around and it's something that you want to talk about and, and think about when you have to make this decision right away, the family dynamics, and, and even the role of the covenant community of the local church, even as you're not writing particularly for a Christian audience, the way that you weave all this together in the, and you tell the story in the present tense. So it's, it's like you're going through it again in a way. One thing that I, I really thought of when I closed the book and, and wondered is just how this whole experience has changed you. Oh boy. <laughs> it changed me in every way. Um, I don't know. It's uh, with my, with my own family, I think, you know, I became more aware of people's feelings. And uh, I mean, sometimes we don't know. We, we just think, you know, kids just have to toughen up. And um, especially when you have eight. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, you think, uh, yeah, you feel bad today, but, you know. 
pull yourself up and keep going because <laughs> there's too much going on. Um, so, yeah, to be more aware of people's feelings and people, what they're going through. Um, but also outside of the family, I just started to see people differently. You never know. So many people with mental illness are not going to come up to you mm -hmm. and tell you. And uh, you don't know what people are going through. So it kind of made me more um, aware of others and uh, wanting to become more of a friend to others and, and to get beyond the, the usual shallowness that we have during um, church fellowship, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you? And uh, it's a nice day. Right. It was a good sermon. And that's it. You know, get to know people a, a little more. Just being more interested in others, I guess. Um, yeah, seeing others with different eyes. So that's one way it changed me. Um, I think spiritually it changed me in the sense that I, I don't know why. I, I say this in the book, but I really don't know why. But after my son died, I had a stronger a stronger sense of God's love for me than before. Strongest assurance of of salvation, I guess, uh, than before. You know, I was struggling with some things before a little, and then after it just went away. And I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I said, okay, I don't want to explain it. Right. But it's like God pulled me through mm. completely, not just pulled me through um, and let me go through the experience and, you know, and uh, comforted me, but it did even more than that. Mm. So I can't say this is going to happen to everyone, but that's what happened to me. Mm. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, one of the things that is um, comforting, you know, in the midst of, of the pain that is there, is um, the presence of the gospel as you write and the presence of the gospel, not as just simply something you tack on, but, but runs through as a part of the narrative. Um, Jonathan was a professing Christian and, and yet through his struggles, uh, as is often the case with some people who struggle with various kinds of mental illness, uh, that faith would seem to ebb and flow even sometimes you know, the profession of Christianity itself, the profession of faith in Christ would, would leave and then come back. Um, and again, that's not highly unusual for those who struggle with rather severe forms of, of mental illness. But, but the, the Lord in his providence um, gave you a, a real sense of hope, not only because even through these desperate struggles that Jonathan was going through in his attempts to to medicate himself again, something not unusual. Um, Jesus kept appearing in his life story. Uh, the gospel kept kind of showing up in the things that he would write and he would say, even in the midst of his struggles. And I wonder if you could just kind of explain what what you saw and what you read um, that 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 kind of kept you tethered to hope um, through the end of his life. Mm. going to church every week and hearing the gospel preached every week, that was uh, number one. 
um, I don't see how anyone could do without it. I went to church on Sunday and I heard the pure gospel twice. And it was a time to just get away and look beyond what I was going through and see the greater picture and see where where everything is headed to and you know the the overall story and so that that helped tremendously yeah yeah and then you know god has been faithful through through the whole thing i think jonathan always believed whenever i asked him he always did mm-hmm. um there were times that my own faith in his faith mm-hmm. <laughs> was uh shaking but yeah. Um, I think, you know, my pastor, uh, my pastor's wife used to say that parents are fruit inspectors. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really true. I, I, I wanted to see fruits yeah. very badly. And that continued even after he died. Yeah. Because when he died, that was my biggest question. I, I kept saying, is he really saved? And uh, if you look at every single fruit, you know, mm-hmm. pick everyone, you're going to find some some rotten ones here and there. But eventually, and, and I really should have just stood on the fact that he made a profession of faith and he kept it until the end. Yeah. But the Lord was actually uh, merciful because he let me see a poem that my son wrote two weeks before he died. And, and that poem was a beautiful profession of faith. And uh, I was so surprised. And I actually saw it on his his birthday, what would have been his birthday. And um, I said, oh, that's God's birthday present to me. And, uh, and that gave me so much yeah. peace. One of the most moving and harrowing sections of the book, Simonetta, is, of course, when, when Jonathan dies. And... Uh, you know, many Christian homes and many Christian families are touched by uh, not just death, but of course by by suicide, by people taking their their own lives. Are you able to to offer any thoughts for those who perhaps are facing the same situation that you faced some years ago, uh, in terms of how, as a parent or how, as a sibling, does one does one handle such a tragic situation? I'm not sure if I can give an advice to just anyone. Uh, I think maybe the situation might be different in every case. Um, in our case, we didn't even know for sure if it was a suicide or just an accident because um, he was, uh, what we think he was probably doing is trying to get high by um you know, the, what they call a choking game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but either way, um, I mean, I think the only thing that really pulled us through is to believe in God's sovereignty, uh, believe that God uh, allowed it for a reason. And uh, I think the only way that God's sovereignty can be comforting is if you really know who God is and uh, who, who he is for us in Christ. So, you know, because if you don't have the right knowledge of God, God's sovereignty can actually be 
a horrible thought. Um, So, and again, I'm really thankful for my church, of course, also the catechisms and everything else, but the, the weekly sermons, it was something that I was able to, to keep my eyes on the Lord and know who he is and, and the, the same God who's sovereign is also perfectly good and loving. And um, I could see that in spite of everything that happened. So I, I don't think I ever doubted that. It was terrible. It was, you know, a horrible experience. And I blamed myself and there were a lot of other emotions but I think I, I could stand on, uh, on the knowledge that God was good. And we know that because of what he has done in Christ. So our, our faith is based on realities, on what has happened already. Mm-hmm. You know, Simonetta, and I'm sure you've discovered this, um, one of the, the challenges with mental illness is that, you know, even psychiatry um, is, is a, in many ways, a very inexact science. Um, some of the medical treatments for various mental illnesses are, are kind of stumbled upon by accident because they happen to be um, uh, side effects uh, of medications to treat other issues. And so it's really a, a very inexact science. And, and I've heard from many families how frustrating it can be, the process of of trying to find a, a, a medical treatment that that works for their loved one. Um, what was your experience in terms of trying to get help for Jonathan medically, um, counseling, et cetera? Um, how, how challenging was that? How difficult uh, was that to try to find something that would that would work? Yeah, it was very challenging, um, and it's. Very frustrating for many reasons. Well, first of all, like you were saying, not every medication works for in every case. It's not like, you know, you have a fever and you take uh, ibuprofen or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) to lower it. And you know that one is going to work because it works for everyone else pretty much. Yeah, it's not like that. So, and then also there's, this condition that accompanies pretty much mental illness, which is an inability of knowing that you need help, that you need uh, medications. And many people with mental illness, they think they don't need it. So you're also fighting against that. And then when you finally get the person to take it somehow, it doesn't work. (laughs) So, there's so much uh, going on. And one psychologist, and I, I bring this up in the book, explained it very well to me. He said it's like um, when you go buy shoes and you have to buy a pair and you think they fit and then you go home and they don't. So, of course, this is a, you know not as serious, but in a way, that's what you have to do. You have to go back and try a different pair or in some cases you you suffer through it if you think it, they're going to get bigger. Right. <laughs> so for the medication, in some cases you have to wait a little longer. Uh, it's, it's a very frustrating process for a person who is actually 
going through the experience and and they want to get better right away and that's why a lot of people end up self-medicating right mm. and that's um, one thing i really learned in reading your book too is just a better understanding of of this mental illness of schizophrenia and how many misconceptions we have of it um and and one that i always hear in discussion about it is you know the question is is this spiritual? Could this be demon possession even? So I wanted you to maybe answer that question. Yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions. Um, when people take it as purely spiritual, it can be very dangerous because then it delays getting help. I you know I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. I just go by my own experience. But what I know is the right medication works, you know, with Jonathan, we took a little time to get to, to find the right medication, the right dosage. Sometimes you have to be hospitalized, actually, to get to that point, because then they have more time to work with you in a control environment. Mm -hmm. So when you get something that works, you see that it works. The voices are gone. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, I've seen it in other cases too. I I, um, I had a, another experience later. It was like night and day. You know, a person cannot understand what's going on, has all these voices tormenting him, and it's basically hell. Mm. And then you get the right medication, the voices are gone. And there's a, still a lot of other things you know, there are different symptoms that still are there, but the voices are gone and the mind is clear. Mm. And I remember my pastor once said, I can't really talk to him until his mind is clear. And and I could understand that. It's um, even for me, it was very difficult because there was just too much going on. Sometimes I would talk to him and he didn't know if I was really talking to him or someone else because he heard other voices at the same time. Mm. So if you really think it's, it's only spiritual and you want to pray for a quick deliverance, do it. But then, you know, if you don't get it, please give him some meds yeah. because I, I just don't see anything else. And you know, I, that I'm just speaking from experience yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, th I think we have to look at mental illness in, in similar ways that we look at treating uh, other physical ailments. Um, if there's medication that that helps with the symptoms, that helps alleviate the pain, uh, we, we want to be able to provide that. And I think the only people that, that tend to not understand that or be sympathetic to it are those who've never struggled with a mental illness or who have never loved someone who has struggled with a mental illness. And so we, we, you know, pastorally, we want to, to counsel um, people who struggle to, uh, to take advantage of, of all the means that God and his providence has provided to help treat the disorders. And, uh, and your yeah, book is, is so helpful just in terms of that, that second half uh, offering counsel in all of these things, not only from uh, some of the, the medical help, but also, you know, in how churches can be uh, helpful to those who suffer. I, I know as a pastor, having a, a conversation with someone about a, a physical ailment, even something as serious as cancer, 
is not as hard as having a conversation with someone about mental illness because of the chronic nature of it oftentimes and how hard it is to, to figure out what's wrong. And, uh, we, we, we're, we're glad that you chose to write a book and help us, uh, look into a, a family that had to deal with this and who had to walk through some real pain. It's been, um, it's been helpful, uh, to read it on a personal level as well as, um, a pastoral level. So thank you for writing the car for, for writing the book and thank you for being our guest today, Simonetta. Oh, thank you again for having me and, uh... And I'm glad the book is doing some good. Yeah. Well, the book is Broken Pieces and the God Who Mends Them, Schizophrenia Through a Mother's Eyes. The author is Simonetta Carr. Um, As Carl mentioned earlier, she's someone whose books we've uh, always been happy to endorse and to encourage people to have. This book is a a, a very different book for Simonetta and, uh, and very well worth your time. Uh, to read. We would encourage you to uh, to do that. And if you'll go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter to win a copy of Simonetta's new book, Broken Pieces. And uh, also while you're there, please keep in mind that we are a listener-supported podcast. And if you'd like to make, to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, um, then we would love for you to be able to do that. Again, thank you to our guest. Thank you to all of you who listen. And we look forward to uh, speaking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Carl Bart and many others, uh, and to a certain extent, even I think sometimes Cornelius Van Til believed that Uh, Jesus has to be the the starting point for all of knowledge. And while that may sound uh, very pious and and important, uh, at the same time, it differs significantly from how historic Reformed theology, even the theology that we uh, find in the Reformed confessions, has approached the topic. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.